welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. His chief, when he was talking to me, he said, he kind of paused when he said, now, if y'all have us back next year, and there was a pause, and I thought he was going to say, make sure you have me on steak night for the first responders. That's what I thought was about to come out of his mouth. He kind of threw me for a loop there. That's, that's what I would have request, requested, Chief. So they put me on steak night. And uh, so anyway, it's good to see everybody. And how about this? We, uh, we're going to listen to the fire, uh, firemen out there and have a fire truck all sudden. Rick out there in the front. It's amazing. But um, it's good to be here tonight, and glad we all got here safely and sound. And uh, see, that's what you get for not going to church uh, out there. And so, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, uh, but anyway, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to page one. I'm just going to keep it easy tonight. Simple. But turn to page one. That's where we're going to start. Um, George Barna did a poll and asked people living in the United States, they asked, if you could ask God one question and you knew that he would give you the answer, what would it be? Think about that. If you could ask God one question and you knew it, that he would give you the, the answer to it, what question would you ask him? Without fail, the number one question that people would ask God is God, why do bad things happen? More specifically, God, why do bad things happen to me? Why do bad things happen to good people? I was um, uh, witnessing to my waitress last night after church, and uh, I was talking to her about Jesus and stuff, and she told me, she said, you know, I kind of, I, I, I was thinking about Christianity stuff, but I would call myself now agnostic. And I said, yeah, why is that? She said, well, about a year ago, I was raped, or a guy tried to rape, rape me. And uh, she said, you know, and I just kind of, after that, kind of went agnostic. I said, so what you're telling me is you're mad at God, and you're blaming God for what happened. And she said, yeah, I guess so. I said, well, let, let me tell you my story. So I shared with him my story about being a result of a rape. And I said, you know, God didn't do that to my mom. That was my biological father's sin that did that to my mom. I said, so don't blame God for something he didn't do. And it was like a light came on for her. She was like, you know, I, ne I never thought about it like that. And there's a lot of people, maybe a lot of you in this room, maybe experiencing the same thing. Maybe you're not close to God, intimate with God, because something bad's happened in your past, and so you're blaming him. You're mad at him. And you're, you're like, God, why? why? Why is this bad stuff happening to me? Why did I lose someone I love close? Why did I lose them to COVID? God, why did I lose my job? God, why did I get cancer? God, why did my marriage break up? And on and on we could go. Say, God, are you up there? Are you paying attention? Has anybody ever felt like that? Thank you. I didn't know if we're all going to lie tonight and be liars, and then I'm going to have to change my message and preach online. 
Hey, I don't know about y'all. I felt that way. I've gone through stuff like that. So when this bad stuff, why does bad stuff happen to good people? More importantly, why do bad things happen to Christians? You know, I'm not an expert, and I don't have all the answers. So I'm just going to go to the one who does. Because it doesn't matter, I told a gentleman last night out in the foyer, it doesn't matter what I say, what my opinion is. What matters is what does the Bible say? So let's just go with what the Word of God says. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, first of all, before we get there, we've got to ask, why does God even allow evil? Why does he allow evil? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible says this. So, just so you know, God did not create evil. He created man uniquely in his own image and placed him in paradise. So, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible says this. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 31. And God saw all that he made, and it was very good. Let me ask you a question. What you see around on TV right now, is that good? To our, our police officers, what you see every day out here in the town, is that stuff good? There's a lot of bad out there in it. So you say, okay, so then what happened? Well, God gave Adam and Eve the ability to choose. So if you pick up a story in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, this is one of the stories we read uh, Sunday morning, that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free. You might want to circle that in your Bible. He said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So God gave Adam and Eve the ability to choose right from wrong. That is called free will. He gave us the free will. So what did Adam and do? Adam and Eve do? They go out there and right off the bat, they start hanging out by the wrong tree. Isn't that just like us? And so they, they hang out by the wrong tree, they end up eating from the tree, and from that moment, what we found out in, in Sunday morning, Romans 5:12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race, and death spread to everyone. So death, disease, destruction. All this disease, pain, suffering, hurt, that came from Adam and Eve sinning in the, Garden of Adam of Eden, uh, in the Garden of Eden. So here's what that does. That shows us humanity is responsible for sin, not God. God didn't do it. Man did it. Humanity is responsible. So, well, Ronnie, why didn't God create us where we didn't choose bad stuff? Well, he didn't make us a bunch of robots. He, he gave us the ability to choose. Don't, don't you want that? I mean, the same way you want to live where people choose to love you and, and accept you and not because they're forced to or they have to, but because they choose to. Uh, I didn't get married until I was 33, and it wasn't because I, I wanted to wait that long. I wanted to be married when I was young. I mean, like when I was 20, 21, 22, but God never sent me my wife because I've been doing this for all my life. And so it's hard to meet somebody and get married because you might meet somebody, and then boom, you're in another town. And so you never can develop a relationship. So I kept praying, God, please send me a wife. I was sick and tired of being single. Matter of fact, I was so tired of it, I went on a 40-day fast. And I said, God, I've got to hear from you. And so when I was 31 or 32, I said, God, I, I need to know, do you have a wife for me? Because I'm sick of this. I'm tired of being by myself and being alone. God gave me a promise out of Isaiah 62. No longer will your land be deserted, but you'll be called Hipspah. And your, your land will be called Beulah, which means uh, married. It says, as a young man rejoices over his bride, so God rejoices over you. I place watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. 
And God gave me that promise. Three months later, I met my wife. And so what happened was, I'm from Fort Worth, uh, from Texas. My wife is from Florida. She worked for NASA, like the pastor told you on Sunday morning. So uh, she was there. We met in Cincinnati, Ohio. That was a God thing. I'm just telling you. Hey, if you're out there and you're single, you want to marry, get married? Go on a 40-day fast and see what God will do. He'll answer the prayers. I'm praying. I show up in that church on Sunday morning in Cincinnati. I'm there to preach, and I see my wife sitting out in the crowd. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When, by the time you're 32 years old and you've been single that long, you can spot where the woman has a wedding ring on from 500 yards away. <laughs> so I see she has no wedding ring on. So we're up here singing, glory to God. And, you know, I look at the pastor and say, hey, you know that girl sitting out there? He said, um, I've never seen her in my life. He said, but I know who she's sitting by. I said, well, uh, okay, let's pray about that. And so, um, <laughs> so I get through preaching, and, you know, she starts heading back to the foyer. And everybody's wanting to come talk to me. I'm like, yeah, bless your ministry. Amen. And so I'm just heading back there. I make a beeline. I find her, get her back there. And I said, hey, I'm Ronnie, blah, blah, blah. We start talking. End up, rest is history, start dating. So by the time we were, I'd say, Four months into it. When you're that age, you know what you want. You know whether they're the one or not. I could, I could go out on one date with a girl, and I could say, yep, no, that's not it. No, that's not it. And people would criticize and say, well, you're just too picky. Like, no, I know exactly what I want, what I've been praying for for my whole life. So I know. And so, um, and so here it is. God gave me somebody, my whole list plus a bonus page. So go there. There you go. So... I see her, we're dating, we're dating for like three, four months, so now I know she's the one, but I want to do it right, I want to propose right, you know. Up to this point, we have never said I love you, I have never talked about wedding, getting married, nothing, we never picked out rings, nothing. I don't believe in that, I don't like it, I want, to be, I want her to be surprised. I don't want to like, why, why do people do this? Why do they go out and look at rings and stuff? And talk about it and pick out the colors of the wedding and all that. And then the dude goes and proposes after she's picked out the ring. What fun is that? No, I wanted to, you know, pop the question. And so, I wanted to do it really right, upright. So, one thing that we love to do, we love to ride horses. So, I thought, if I do it while riding horses, then every time we're doing it, we'll remember it for the rest of our lives. And, you know, every time she gets on a horse, she'll think about it. Well, that was when I was young, I used to think that. So, anyway, so... I take her to this uh, Benbrook Lake in Fort Worth. And so she flies in that day. I take her to the airport and uh, or to pick her from the airport. We go to the uh, lake, got the horses. We go right. It was a beautiful day. I mean, 70 degrees, not a cloud in the sky. We're out there riding around that lake and stuff on horseback. Come back. It was beautiful. I had rented a picnic place thing with one of them little pavilion deals, you know. And so... Um, I had it set up, and so I pulled, uh, we pulled the horses up there to unsaddle them. I, get the, I have a five-course meal going for her. So I have her sit down. I said, I got this for you. You just sit down take it easy. I had her uh, crackers and cheeses, all kinds of cheese stuff. That was the first course. Then I had her, like, uh, you know, all kinds of fruits, you know, like uh, strawberries and pineapples and, like, three different kinds of chocolate to dip in and stuff. So I give her that. So now I'm cooking her her favorite meal. And this is one of the reasons why I married this woman. Her favorite food is steak. <laughs> so I'm cooking her steak. Got a little corn on the cob on the grill. Got that grilling and stuff. Got it going. 
And so uh, she's sitting there, and I uh, had a white tablecloth, had candles going, had a little Kenny G playing in the truck. Sun's going down. Are y'all getting a picture here? Okay, sun's going down. And so I threw her off because I didn't want her to know that I was going to propose to her, you know. So I told her we're celebrating her spiritual birthday that day. Okay, that's why we were celebrating. So had the Kenny G going, light candle lights, all that stuff. So we eat our first, you know, the steak and all that kind of stuff. Then I had dessert. Her favorite dessert, cheesecake. Had five different kinds of cheesecake for her to choose from. Pick any one you want. Right there, there it is. So we eat our cheesecake. Oh, she said, oh, this is so good and all that. So I said, oh, I said, when we got through eating dessert, I said, I got, I got one more thing for you. I said, I got you a present for your spiritual birthday. She goes, okay. So I go to the truck, and uh, I come back, and I had a box, and my wife was wanting a, a Beth Moore book. So I didn't know which one she wanted, so I got every one that she'd ever written. And uh, <laughs> that woman has written some books, so... <laughs> So I had a stack of them things. So she opens it up. Oh, I'm so excited. I don't know which one to start yet. I said, yeah, I didn't either, so I just got you all of them. And uh, so I said, oh, I forgot. I got one more thing for you. So I go to the truck. I come back. I have a scroll rolled up, ribbon tied around it. She's sitting on the bench. I'm sitting there right beside her. Sun's going down. I hand this to her. I say, here, this is for you. So she opens it up, and it's a poem I wrote for her about her and me. And so, remember, at this point, I never told her. I loved her. Rolls it open. I said, wait. I said, I wrote it for you. I said, let, let me read it. She said, okay. So the title is To My Beloved. So I start talking about how I saw her sitting out in the crowd for the first time, how she stood out, you know, like a star, because she worked for NASA. You know. <laughs> I talked about it, and it all rhymed and stuff, and I can't remember everything right now, but Talked about how I'd, far, I'd traveled as far as the moon and back looking for, you know. I calculated the miles I'd traveled all these years to all these different churches and stuff. And so uh, I get to the end. And at the end of it, it says, I want you to be bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I want you to be flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. So as I pose this question to you, will you be my bride, Miss Jennifer Ray Jones? That's how it goes. And so I get down on my knees. I said, I want you to be flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. I go to my knee and I pull out the ring. I didn't even ask the question. She jumps down and tackles me. And she says, yes, yes, yes. She's crying and stuff. Y'all got to understand this is a big deal. Because, I mean, we didn't, I, when we started dating, I didn't kiss her for like four months. Her, her parents don't know Jesus. They thought I was gay. They didn't know. So they're like, finally, hallelujah, you know. So. So she's hoping, we're both crying and stuff. Yes, yes, yes. And I said, go, we get through crying, but this goes about five minutes. I said, well, I said, wait. She goes, what? I said, I worked hard on this poem. I'm not finished. She goes, okay. So she gets back up on the bench, and I said, I, I want you to be flesh of my flesh, my bones, as I pose this question to you, will you be my bride, Miss Jennifer A. Jones? She tackles me again. Yes, yes, yes. We start, that's what I'm talking about. That is the response I wanted. We had never taught marriage. I had never picked out a ring. I had never told her I loved her. And she said yes enthusiastically. That is what God wants from us. He wants us to want to choose Him. To want to love Him. Because we get to. Not because we have to. 
That's why he created us with free choice and free will. You wouldn't want somebody to marry you. Said somebody gets a shotgun and says, you better marry this person. Right? Get, get up there right now. What kind of marriage would that be? What kind of love would that be? And, and that's what God says. I, I created you because I want you to choose me. You don't have to. But you, if you want to, I love you and I want a relationship with you. That's why we have this junk in the world because there are people that choose to disobey God and choose not to serve Him and not to love Him. God created us that way because He didn't want you to be a robot. He wanted you to choose Him. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, from one man He made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and He determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Verse 27, God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He's not far from each one of us. God wants you to want him, to choose him. That's why he created us that way. You say, okay, Ronnie, I get it about the free will then. I understand that. I get that. But, Ronnie, here's the problem I have. I understand when bad things happen to bad people. But, Ronnie, what I don't understand is why do bad things happen to good people? More, more pointedly, why do bad things happen to godly people? I, I, don't, I don't get that. Ronnie, if there's a robbery and... A bad guy gets shot in a robbery, I understand that. But if an innocent child gets shot in a crossfire, I, I don't understand that. I, I don't get that. So the question is, why do bad things happen to good people? Everybody hear this, and you hear this loud and clear. Bad things happen to good people. And even Christians, bad things happen to Christians, and bad things are going to happen to Christians. Christians get cancer. Christians have accidents. Christians lose their jobs. It's not a matter of if it's going to happen. You're not alone. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4.12, do not be surprised that it will happen to you. Suffering is going to come. It's not a matter of if it's going to come. It's when and how bad. My son, when he was about 10 years old, he wanted to be a bull rider. Now, I don't know if y'all know this. Bull riding is pretty... Pretty scary. Hurts people, kills people. My son, 10 years old, won't be a bull rider. I said, okay, buddy, you ride bulls. My, my, my wife's like, what are you doing? I go, no, I got this. I got it. She goes, but he's going to get hurt. I said, I got it. Look, trust me. Because, I mean, it, when he's his age, 10 years old, they're not riding 2,500-pound bulls. They're riding steers with horns. They're just big steers. That's it. So he's not going to get, like, tore up real bad. So first thing we do, take him to his bull riding coach. Bull riding coach looks at my wife right off the bat, says this to her. Mama, you need to know this. Your son's going to bull ride. It's not a question of if your son is going to get hurt bull riding. It's when and how bad. Because he is going to get hurt. And the question is how bad is he going to get hurt. Freaks my wife out. She's like, oh, no, no, I don't want it. Wrong. I said, honey, I got it. I got it. No boys. Oh, I want more bull ride. I'm bull ride. I said, all right, buddy, you're going to bull ride. We go to that weekend, first, first rodeo, Little Bridges Rodeo. He gets on the bulls, got the helmet, all that face mask, everything, got the flak jacket, got the chaps on, he's ready. Gets on the bull, it's a steer, okay? Gets on the steer, knots, take off, first jump, whoo, he goes flying. I mean, wasn't even on a second. He's flying, he's supposed to ride at eight seconds. Flying in the air, comes down, lands on his tailbone. Just hits on his tailbone, and he's laying in the arena. Ah, 
<gasps> Paramedics have to come out to him, get him, pull him up, you know, holding on to him, carry him out of the arena. He's like, oh, oh. I said, son, uh, good job. Let's go. You got four more vents. Come on. We, we got a calf rope. We got a team rope. Come on. You got a rib rope. We're going, let's go. He said, Daddy, hold on. I said, no, you want the bull ride. This is part of it. Come on, let's go. So we go and he does his four, other four events next day. Bull riding's first. He said, Daddy, I don't think I want to bull ride. I go, no, no, you said you wanted to. This is your idea. This isn't my idea. You wanted to do it. I've already paid the entry fee. You're going to ride this bull. He's like, no, Daddy, I won't ride the bull. I won't ride it. I said, no, you wanted to do this. You want to be a big, bad bull rider. We're going to do this. I said, come on, take him all the way to the bucket shoots. Got a world champion bull rider back there pulling the ropes for him, getting him ready. His little son is riding next to my son. So my, my son, the whole time, screaming, crying, no, Daddy, I don't want to do this. I don't want to. I said, I said no, you're going to. The world champion bull rider, Pablo, he goes, hey, buddy, it's okay. You can come to my house this week, and we can ride some you know, practice bulls, and you can get on some of them. I'll teach you something. I said, no, Pablo, stay out of this. We ain't coming to your house. He goes, okay. <laughs> so my son, we get him on the bull. And remember, it's a steer. It's not, it's not a big full-grown bull. It's a steer. He gets on the bull. He grabs onto it. Daddy, I don't want to do this. I don't want to ride a bull. He's crying. Tears are coming. All the other professional bull riders are feeling sorry for him. They're like, man, come on. It's okay. I said, no, he's riding it. I said, Jake, you riding this bull. Let's go. Daddy, I want to. I said, all right, I'll tell you what. If you get off this bull, we're done. We're not riding bulls ever again. Okay, we're done. We're done. Okay. He gets, I said, all right, come on, let's go. So he gets off the bull. They let the bull out, but without a rider. Here's the thing. We don't like pain, right? We don't want pain. We don't want to experience it. I'm with you. I, I don't like pain either. I don't want to go through suffering. I don't, want to, I don't want my family to hurt. I don't want my little boy to suffer. I didn't want him to get killed by a bull or anything. That's why I like let him be this his idea and say he didn't want to do this anymore. And then we're done. See, this thing, just because I'm a preacher don't mean I get a free pass on this pain and suffering stuff. We suffer. Pastors suffer. Evangelists suffer. We go through hurt, pain, heartache, misery. And you're going to go through this. And I just want you to know, the Bible says in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I want to tell you this, and, and not because I think that I've gone through more suffering than anybody, because I haven't. I mean, this is just a snippet of something I'm going to tell you about. We've gone through a lot more suffering than this. And I know there's people in here that have gone through way more than I've ever thought about. So I'm not telling you that I've experienced more. I'm just telling you, like, I, I'm telling you this to let you know I understand. I get it. My wife and I went through two weeks from what we felt like was just hell. In a two-week period, uh, the first day, we had a tornado come through the front of our yard and had hell damage, tore up a bunch of stuff and uh, our vehicles and all that kind of stuff. The next day, I had to have surgery. Um, and I was out uh, for a few days. The next day, my horse had to have surgery. I know for you, some of you, they don't, that's not a big deal. That's a big deal when your horse had surgery. So then the next day, uh, my wife's credit cards were stolen, and somebody got our stuff. And so uh, it just kept on like that and hitting and like that. Well, then, like three days later, uh, I had to 
go to Louisiana to preach. So my wife, who was pregnant with our twins at the time, and my boy, we all go. We get to Louisiana, and my wife was not feeling good, so she stayed in the motorhome while I went to preach. And back then, I used to turn my phone off. Now I just turn it on silent because my wife, she can get me anytime if we're in the middle of the service. She has access to me. And, uh, but back then, I would turn my phone off. I get through preaching on a Tuesday night. When I get through the service, I go back to the RV. And when I get back to our motorhome, um, I hear this screaming and commotion in the motorhome. I don't know what's going on. So I immediately, I hurry up and I open up the door. As soon as I open up the door, I see my wife laying down on the couch. And she's screaming and hollering and crying. My little boy, who's three at the time, Jake, he's crying because he don't know why mommy's crying. I look over to my left on our counter and there was a paper plate that had one of our babies in that plate after that miscarriage uh, the next day because I still had one more day to preach the next day at noon my wife had her second miscarriage and we lost our second baby we drive home we get home, and my wife starts bleeding, and we can't stop it. I rush her to the hospital. I don't know what's happening. I'm thinking I'm about to lose my wife. I, 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 I totally, I'm, I'm like, God, what, what, what is going on? God, I spent my whole life telling other people about you. I've traveled all over the world. I've given up my life. I've sacrificed. God, God would you please just give me a break? Can I catch some relief here? Do you see what's going on? Would you please heal my wife? You ever felt like that before? You ever felt like he's not paying attention? He doesn't know what's happening? He's lost it? I'm going to tell you something I did. And in the middle of all that, I'm just crying out, God, why? You want to know why bad things happen to good people? People dodge this question. I'm not dodging it tonight. I'm going to tell you straight up. You might want to get a pencil out, write this down. But here it is. You want to know why God lets bad things happen to good people? Three words. Here it is. You ready? I'm not playing around. Three words. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be smart, Alec. I, 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 I don't know. Because there are things that are going to happen in our life that we don't know. That we don't know why. We, we might not know 10 years from now. We might not know 20. We might not know until we get to the other side. Do, do you realize when my mom was raped when she was 17? Do you realize my mom was crying out, why God? Why? Why did you allow this to happen? God didn't do it, but he allowed it to happen. Why? Why God? My mom at 17 didn't know that she was going to have a little boy. And that little boy was going to grow up, give his life to Christ, surrender to preach the gospel, and travel all around the world telling other people about Jesus. My mom at 17 didn't know that. My mom at 17 didn't know that one day she would uh, end up working at a crisis pregnancy center for girls who were thinking about having abortions. And that she would be able to counsel with them like nobody else because she's experienced it and been through it. She didn't, she didn't know that at 17. My mom at 17 didn't know when she's crying out, why God, that she was going to end up having an awesome 
grandson that she was going to love and cherish like nobody else. My mom at 17 didn't know that. And I, there are other things that we don't even know until we get to heaven. Why, why, why does bad things happen to good people? I, 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 don't, I don't know. But I'm going to tell you two things I do know. I know this. I know God is good, and I know he is in control. I don't know a lot, but I know those two things. I know in the midst of chaos, in the midst of hurt and pain and suffering, I know he is good, and he is in control. I know that. You say, but Ronnie, I'm hurting right now. I'm suffering right now. What do I do? I'll tell you what we do. We look at Job, the best example of all, of following somebody, example of somebody who was hurting and suffering and what he did. Because he's a real man, living in a real place at a real time. In Job chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says this. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. Now, I'm just going to speed up the story for you, and here's how it went. Satan comes by. God says, hey, did you see my man? He said, where you been? He said, been down on earth. He said, you see my man, Job? He said, how about Job? He said, yeah, what about him? He said, he's blameless, he's upright, all that. He said, yeah, the only reason he does it is because you don't let me do nothing to him. He's everything, you give him like a silver spoon. He says, okay, I'll tell you what, you can do whatever you want to with him, just don't touch him. He said, all right, you watch. He's going to fall. He's not, he's not going to serve you no more. What happens? He ends up bringing it all on him. I mean, he loses everything. Job ends up losing his camels, his servants, his sheep, their servants uh, that, that took care of them. He, he lost one thing after another and after another. And then here's what happened. After all, I mean, just think about this. Think about your bank account, your, your Roth IRA, your Social Security, everything being taken away from you. Just one thing after another after another. You left, you have no money. And then here's what happens. Job chapter 1 verse 18, while he was still speaking here in all these bad reports, one after another, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters, they're feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert, struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them, and they're all dead. And now I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. Verse 20, at this, Job got up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, then he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. What do we do when tragedy hits? We do what Job did. What did he do? Job worshipped the Lord. You worship God because he's worthy of your worship. Regardless of your circumstances, how you feel, what your mood is, that's what Job did, and that's what we need to do. God was there for Job, and God will be there for you. The Bible says this in Psalms 48.1, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God and his holy mountain. We worship God because he's good. Luke 18.19, Jesus said, God is good and God alone. God is good because he said he's good. Not because you say he's good, not because I say he's good, not because we vote on it and God gets a 98% approval rating he's good. God is good because he said he's good, period. And that's why we worship him, because he's good. But not only because he's good, listen to this, we worship God. The Bible says, you say, but Ronnie, what I'm going through is not good. It's not good. What I'm feeling is not good. Listen, your definition of good and God's definition of good, two totally different things. 
He's not on the same playing field as us. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 8, he says, I don't think the way you think, says the Lord. And the way you work isn't the way I work, says the Lord. He said, but man, if it happened to me, Ronnie, I, I couldn't do that. Y yes, you could. Job worshipped him. And I'm going to tell you something. When we worship him, we do it because he's good. But the second thing you need to see that Job did was he ran to God. He said, I don't know if I can do that. Yes, you can. You run to God. And, and I'm going to tell you this. When tragedy comes, it'll make one of two things happen. You will either, when tragedy comes to your life, you will either turn to God for comfort and strength, or you will run away from God and become angry and mad at Him. It'll make you better, or it will make you bitter. One of those two things. You don't believe me? COVID hit. Are the same people that were here pre-COVID, are all of those people still here? Guess what happens? Tragedy came. COVID hit. Some people left. We hadn't seen them again. I told you, tragedy will come. It will either make you run to God or make you run away from God. It'll do one of those two things. And I'm going to tell you this. When it comes to my house, I'm running to God. When it, that's the place to go. We run to God harder than we've ever run. We pray more. We give more. We serve more. We love more. You run to God. That is where you need it. Job did. That's where he did. He ran to God, and God was there for him, and he'll be there for you. And I'm going to tell you this, though. When tragedy does come, there's nothing wrong with asking why. Jesus asked why on the cross. Think about it. He said, why? Matter of fact, when he was in the garden, Jesus even said, hey, God, I don't like this plan of dying on the cross. Man, I'm not for it, but God, whatever you say, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to submit to you. We don't have to like it. We, and we can say why. Matter of fact, Job asked why five times in chapter 3. And then he goes on explaining why all this bad stuff. Job saying, yeah, well, this is why it happened. This is why chapter after chapter after chapter. Finally, God's fed up with him. And Job chapter 38, God's like, okay, I've had enough. Job, listen, get up on your, on your feet, pull yourself together. You got some questions for me, Job? Okay, I've got one for you. Hey, Job, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Job, you think you know so much. Where were you when I created everything? When I created you? And you're, where were you, Job? Do you know something? When Job asked God why, God never told Job why he allowed that stuff to happen. He just revealed more of himself to him. And here's what we need. Here's what we need tonight. More than a bunch of answers to our questions, we need a, an experience with God. We need an encounter with God. Because see, here's the deal. When you see God for who he is, then you will see your problems for what they are. And here's what happens. When tragedy comes, some of you freak out. And you start panicking and worrying and calling everybody. Trying, oh, what, what am I going to do? What am I, and, and turning to everybody, asking everybody else something. Oh, what am I going to do? Instead of realizing, I serve a mighty God. And I'm going to turn to Him. Because see, when you got a little bitty God, your problems are huge. And some of you come to church and you get your little bitty God out. And you get him out of your little pocket, like, oh, did you? 
And then you get through worshiping, put them back in your pocket, and you go on. And then when a problem hits, bam, it's huge to you. But when you understand, you serve the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the creator of the heavens and the earth, that just one thought, one spoken word, he can do anything in your life. That's when your problems are not anything. And that's what you need to do. Job turned to God. You say, you really think I need to turn to God? Who, what else are you going to turn to? You're going to turn to drugs, alcohol, illicit sex, suicide? Is that going to solve anything? No, I'm going to turn to the one who is going to solve it. His name is God. And I want you to know this. God blessed Job. And God blessed him twofold. Gave him twice as much as he had before. Gave him seven more sons and three more daughters. Now, he didn't get his original sons and daughters back. Can't replace them and he didn't get those back. But God gave him seven more sons and three more daughters. And I'm going to tell you this. God was working it out for the good. I want you to know this. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4, because Jesus was raised from the dead, We've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. If you have a relationship with Christ, you have something to live for. You have peace and purpose and meaning. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, you can tonight. And when this thing, this world is falling down on you and you don't know what to do, I want you to know God's the only one you can turn to. And he's not a 911 service. You have to have a relationship with him. And if you want a relationship with him right now, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you're willing tonight to admit that you've sinned against God, you're willing to repent and turn from your sins, saying, God, I know your, your son Jesus died on the cross, paid for my sins. And God, I'm willing to turn from my sins, and I want to invite you into my life to be my boss, my Lord, and my Savior. If you've never done that before, you've never experienced that love and that relationship with him, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do it right now. I'm not talking about joining the church. I'm not talking about religion. Religion is not going to change your life. I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus. And if you want that, you say, because how, how can you go through stuff like that? I can tell you even other stuff, too. I mean, it's, that would blow your mind, and we don't even have time. How can I go through stuff like that? Because God has taken me right through it. He is with me every step of the way. Is my life going to be perfect? Is your life going to be perfect? If you become a Christian, are you going to win the lottery? No, not promising that at all. But I'm telling you this, when you go through it, he is with you through the fire. He is with you through the pain, and he will be with you the, your whole life. That's, that's what it's about. And if you want that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray that prayer and invite Christ to come to your life to save you and change you. If you'd like to do that, I'm going to pray that prayer right now. And if you'll do me a favor, give me two minutes. Just nobody get up, nobody leave, we're almost done. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? With heads bowed and eyes closed. You say, that's me, Ronnie. I've never done that before. I've never given my life to Christ then you just pray this prayer with me right now, right where you're seated. Just pray silently with me to God, and you invite the creator of this universe into your life. But pray this prayer. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I've messed up. And I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. And God, I turn from my sins. And I invite you into my life to be my boss, my Lord, and my best friend. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And thank you for saving me, Lord Jesus. 
Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to pray for you. If you're here tonight, you say, Ronnie, for the first time in my life, I invited Christ to come to my life. It wasn't about joining a church or denomination or religion. I personally, I repented of my sins and I invited Jesus into my life. If you just prayed that prayer with me with heads bowed and eyes closed, and I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you or call you out, I just want to pray for you. Say, Ron, that's me. I just prayed that prayer. Would just those of you that prayed that prayer, would you just look up at me right now and let me catch your eyes? Say, Ron, that's me. I just prayed that prayer. I just invited Jesus to come to my life. Just look up at me right now and let me catch your eyes. Say, Ron, that's me. I prayed that prayer. All right. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Anyone else? Say, Ron, that's me. I just prayed that prayer. All right. If you just pray that prayer, would you just keep looking up at me just for a second? I just want you to know, according to what the Bible says, God's forgiven you of everything you've ever done. He's come to live in you, and he will never leave you. And now what you need to do is you need to let, let other people know. You need to say, yeah, I'm now a follower of Christ. And I need to follow through, and I need to be scripturally baptized. And we'll pray with you. We'll show you how to do that. pastor will be down here in just a minute. You come to him or you come to me, we'll be glad to pray for you and encourage you in that, that decision. Now I want to talk to those of you that are here tonight that are suffering, that are in pain right now. Whether you got somebody that you love that's in pain or suffering or whether you're per- going through it personally. It might be financially. It might be in your marriage. It might be in your health. But you say, Ronnie, I'm suffering right now and I need a miracle of God. I need a God, God to come through for us. If that's you right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, and you would like for me to pray for you, would you look up at me right now and let me catch your eyes? Say, Ronnie, that's me. I'm hurting. I'm in pain. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else through here? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Say, Ronnie, that's me. Would you pray? Would you pray for us? Yes, sir. Anybody else? Anyone else? Say, Ron, that's me. We're hurting. We're suffering. We need a miracle of God. Okay? With those of you that, that just looked up, would you just keep looking up just for a second? Just those that just looked up at me. Hey, I want you to know this. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 that we are to encourage one another and pray for one another all the more as we see the day approaching. We need to lift up. We talk a lot about prayer, but I want us to do it. And I don't know about you, when I was hurting and pain, and suffering, I, the more people praying for me and my family, the better. And please, I wanted everybody praying for us and everybody praying for my wife uh, that was hurting and suffering at that time. So instead of us talking about it, I want us to do it tonight. Because that's what the Bible says we're to do as a church, that we're to encourage one another and pray for one another all the more as you see the day approaching. You say, what are we going to do? Here's what I'm going to do for you. In just a second, we're going to stand all of this building with heads bowed and eyes closed. When we stand, I'm going to pray. When I say amen, uh, Beecher's going to sing. Matter of fact, Beecher, would you go ahead and come on up? When I say amen, he's going to begin singing. All of you that said, Ronnie, man, I, we, need, we need God to move. We need a miracle. We need something to happen. If that's you, and you would like for us to pray for you, then I want you to just come and kneel at this altar. And if you can't kneel because of health reasons or whatever, man, you could sit on that front row right there. And then once everybody gets up here that wants prayer, then I'm going to call for other people.
that believe God is still on his throne, still moves, still can move mountains, and is in the miracle business. And we're going to come and we're going to pray over you and for your family. We don't have to know your business. If you want to say, hey, it's a, a, a silent uh, prayer request, hey, we can do that. Because you know what? The Holy Spirit can pray for words for us that we can even, he, he moans and prays for words we can't even say. We don't even know how to pray. That he, he will do that for us and he'll intercede for us. And so if you want us to pray specifically, you say, I've got surgery on Tuesday, or I've got this happening, or we need a job, we, whatever it is, then we can pray specifically for you about that. But we don't, we're not, this is not to get into anybody's business. This is to lift you up and pray. And the more prayers fill in the throne room of God, the better. So when we stand, I pray, I say amen. If you would like prayer, you come and you kneel at this altar, you come and sit down at that chair, on those front pews, whatever, and then we'll have people come pray for you, okay? Can you do me a favor? Can we please stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Heads bowed, eyes closed. As soon as I say amen, you step out and come, and you come kneel at this altar or sit down on this front pews so we can pray for you. Let's pray. Father, we just lift up now to you all these folks that lifted up their heads, said they need a miracle from you. God, we believe you're in the miracle business. We believe that you're still on your throne and you still move on behalf of your people. So I got, I, God, I pray for the, these folks that are hurting. I pray, God, you give them the courage uh, that they'll come so we can pray for them and lift them up. And so we can see a miracle, see what you're going to do in their lives. We thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Beecher sings, you come on right now. Whether you want to build this altar or you sell them in front of Come on. Your breath and our lungs, so we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's Your breath and our lungs, so we pour out our praise to You only. It's Your breath and our lungs, so we pour out our praise. Pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you, Holy. As he continues to play, if you're a believer here and you believe God is still on his throne and still answers prayers, God's led you to pray specifically for someone up here, would y'all come right now? And I want you to just gather around them. And I want everybody to have somebody around them, at least one, two, three, four people. You just gather around them and let's lay hands on them. Let's pray for them that God will heal them, touch them. If they want to tell you specifically what they'd like for you to pray for, they can share with you that. If they say uh, unspoken request, then you just pray to God and God will take care of that, okay? So can you come pray right now? We have folks that believe that. You come on right now. <laughs>